I've known Josh Epstein for about 20 years. He is an actor, producer, and writer from Vancouver, who, while still in his 30s, has accomplished so much in theater. He has now moved into writing movies and indie films with his own company, and most recently, though, added director to his bio with Studio 58's production of Cabaret. This is my conversation with Josh a few weeks after Cabaret closed. I started by asking him, after all his titles, how does he see himself now? Let's listen to Josh on From the Pit. When you describe yourself in bios now, yeah. um, do, you, do you call yourself an actor first? <laughs> or do you call yourself a director, producer? What do you do first? Right now, because I'm doing more writing and uh, producing, I'm describing myself as a writer or producer. Right. But I think you tailor it for whatever you want people to do. If you're, doing, if you're acting, so. you, you say you're a writer. If you're writing, you say you're an actor. So then it's like... You choose the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess that's true. And how do you feel about yourself now? Like, do you, you feel, do you have a focus more now? Yeah, right now I'm writing. Right. So I work with Kyle Ryder. We have Motion 58, but we're getting hired to write our own original ideas and screenplays and television shows. And so it's something that I was building towards. I, you know, I had really high expectations and hopes but i don't know if i if it ever really sunk in that i could actually do it and right now you know i could literally just be a writer for the year i don't know you know yeah. know beyond that right but that to me is is like really exciting and satisfying and sometimes it's really hard because you just have to write and you yeah. have to wake yourself up and you have to get right to work and write or or procrastinate for a while and then you still have to write and so some days i'm working all day and all night and some days i'm you know i can take a break at four o'clock so it's it's been uh, it's a new experience for me because going to rehearsal which i like miss and was so was so gratifying to be able to do most of my life is like being around lots of people and laughing and having something to work on and having a time, you know, like you appreciate it after the fact of like, I have to be there 10 to six um, or 10 to 10. Um, So I do miss that. And I have to sort of try to create that on our own. And you're finding that's working. Okay. So far it's working. Yeah. I mean, I've had a rule the last few years to do like one theater thing a year because right. it feels like I just need to, it's like a drug I need to like tap in once a year. So, and then what's great about that is I can be a little bit more choosy and and do the thing that like, you know, really excites me. Right. Yeah. When did the the switch come? When did you decide that you wanted to write more? Yeah. I, I mean, I always was writing, as I mentioned to you earlier, I was used to write on the piano. I'd write songs and I just come home from after school and I write songs and I didn't really share them with anybody. I thought I was going to write a musical. Um, they were kind of poppy, but they were story. And then I, and then one day it just literally transferred to the, from the piano to just writing on paper. And that became that At studio. We have a great, there's a great writing program of, you have to do your own solo show. And I got really into that. And Aaron Bushkowski and David Bloom were really a big help there. Just 
I think they were really good at just going just right, you know? Yeah. Just right. Don't think, just start writing and that really works for me. And so I'd always been writing and then I started working with Kyle while we were doing studies in motion. We were doing the electric company studies in motion. We were touring Canada and he was finishing up a short film and I sort of came on board then and I was like, well, I have this commerce degree. I know how to produce. I want to be involved and I want to write. And and our plan was to write our own stuff and produce and direct our own stuff. Mm-hmm. And And then I got into Stratford, like right when that was starting to take off which was my dream before I started doing the film stuff. Yeah. So that was like, the, that's the crazy thing about this business. Like I dreamed about going there and everything. And then I remember the day I got in and I had mixed emotions. I'd landed in New York. Um, I was going to New York. I was meeting, I think it was me and my mom there or something like that. And I had tickets to In the Heights that day. And I just, my agent phoned me right as I got off the plane. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I need to think about it. And he was yeah. shocked because I'd been talking about Stratford forever. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Stratford. I'm going to like figure out this experience. And I ended up doing two years there because the first year is like really acclimatization to that gigantic place. And the second year, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back, but they offered me something that I just couldn't say no to. And I was like, I want to know what this place is like fully like. And I feel like I got the full experience. And then... During that year, I just knew that I needed to pursue this film thing. So over that time, Kyle and I had written two screenplays, and and Kyle was determined. Like Kyle was like, "I'm making this. We we got to make this movie this year," and and I just really bought into that. And I was like, "Okay, well, if I leave Stratford, then we have to make this movie this year." And I feel like you need a sacrifice like that to make something happen like that big and that crazy and that that has so many chances to fall apart Mm. so that the decision basically it didn't it took years and and it took me months of being like i'm gonna i'm gonna not come back next year to to make to like be able to sleep at night yeah jay brezzo used to tell me like whatever decision you make is the right decision and i go still go by that yeah probably always doesn't feel like it but i felt like I felt like with theater and acting, I could probably come back to it. It's really scary as an actor. You you don't really feel like that, but I was. But that's what people were telling me. Yo, you can always come back. Yeah. So, what's interesting is I was like, I want something other than just acting. I think that's really healthy. And I started looking at real estate because I'd gotten into real estate, and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do my real estate um, program. I can do that, you know, uh, like I don't have to go to class. I can do it online. Um, and I'll do it while I'm acting. It'll be easy. It'll be nine months. And I had the the screen open on my computer, like ready to press click for like months. And for some reason, I just didn't hit it. And then, and then Kyle and I sent off for this grant. It was the first grant we applied for with our writing, and we got it. And I remember that day, just going and closing the window, oh. and being like, "Okay, well, that's significant." Well, what was it that made you hesitate? Did you feel good about the project coming or you just I I felt like what would I regret like looking back 5 years and I was like if I don't pursue this film thing um I think I would regret that like mm-hmm. what are the possibilities of it and of making my own films like it was it started to become really important to me especially after we put the words down and we started to feel good about the screenplays we're like we can do this and I think the key to what we did 
is like is that we did everything because if we were just writing and i see so many so much of this now and, and people are sending me screenplays i don't know it's so hard to get a movie made it is it's just it's like next to impossible but because we were like we're gonna make our own movies and we're going to figure that out and we're going to be able to direct it and produce it. And, and then we ended up like distributing it and, you know, financing it and figuring out all that, those things that um, it's because we, it's because we produced our own work that we were, that we got to the stage we're at now. There's like no other way. I don't think we could have done it. If we're sending out our scripts unsolicited, I just think it's too hard. Right. And I, um, I guess that's part of the industry. I think maybe there's a perception, you know, with Netflix and all the streaming services that perhaps there's more opportunities. Do you find, have you found that's the case? I think that there's more opportunities, but I also think that it's more opportunities for the people who had the opportunities. Right. So you, you have to bust down that door. And I think the only way we knew how to do it, especially because we, we don't, we aren't, weren't writing the like, easy like greenlit project like if you can write that and you have a great voice for that then then maybe you can get in easier but we were writing stuff that was a little off center right right so those nobody was gonna look at that and go here here's a whole bunch of money to do it right um unless we did it ourselves and what was the first project that you you did together we did a, a short film. So we got that first grant was for a short film called Wait for Rain mm-hmm. that we did uh, starring Hague Sutherland and uh, Laura Gilchrist and Pippa Mackey and Blue Mankuma. And uh, we, that one, you know, that was like a big, like for a short film, it was a big budget for us. Mm-hmm. I remember the first day on set of like, like all these, like we, you know, produced it and done everything with it. And on the first day, like all these trucks showed up with all this equipment. And I was like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. I can't. They're like looking at me like I'm supposed uh, to tell them where to go or anything. Yeah. They don't actually need you. They know everything without anything from the producer, <laughs> which is why I could get through it. But yeah, it was. I just. I'll never forget that first day of just being like, uh, okay, just act like you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and, and then did you, who directed it? Did you direct? No, it? Kyle directed Kyle it, it, and I produced it, and right. we co-wrote it, and that's how we've sort of moved forward from there. And then we did Edward, which was so we met doing Studies in Motion, mm-hmm. which is an electric company show, and uh, we optioned that from Kevin Kerr and the Electric Company because we were so interested in this Edward Mybridge, who no one had made a movie of. And then as soon as we said we were making it, like. Gary Oldman was making a movie of it. Like there was mm. this Cohen Media Fund that was making a movie. Andy Serkis was going to make it his directorial debut, and that's what I mean of like so hard to make movies. Those guys were all making the Edward Mybridge movie, and they had Benedict Cumberbatch attached, and all these things, and the movies still haven't been made. Right, because it's it, people don't know who he is. I'm sure it's just hard, and it's a period film, so you need like 15 million minimum to make it. And we were like, we can make it for well just gonna make it like whatever however amount of money we have so that was our that was our big like that was the one i left stratford to make um and we were just like we have to do it with whatever money we have and i think that that is another key to to making things happen is we just set dates and we said it's happening and then as soon as you set dates on an artistic project artists want to be involved because right. they're like, oh, that's happening. Oh, yeah, right. Like, how do I get it's in on real. that? Yeah. 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 And that was the one we called in all our theater favors. So I, I was a theater kid and grew up in the theater. And 
if if there was something in the back of my head it was like one day like i'm going to know so and so and so and so and i'm going to call in these favors and that was the that was the project where we really we got a lot of help we we were able to access the playhouse costumes the howard family had been holding holding on to them and max reimer um i think they ended up at bard mm. but in between they were held in a in a warehouse and um we were able to get access to the and it was i don't know what what we would have done if that hadn't have happened amazing yeah um and then there was some success with the film um and then what did you decide was there a space of time before writing or did you were you writing the whole time our plan was always to like develop 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 while we were doing it right. because we knew if if something happened we obviously we, we were hoping and praying something would happen with the film and then we were like well we need to have our next thing ready um and if we didn't i don't think edward like we weren't getting people don't offer a producer a job very often <laughs> i don't like know that experience yeah. um they weren't offering directing jobs and we weren't being offered writing jobs so it was really um we had to do we had to do more what it did do was like funding bodies came on board for our next film um it showed it was like the perfect demo for what we could do next and although i was say it's not the perfect demo because it was an epic period film mm. and at the same time we were writing this teen comedy which we sh- uh, most people told us to do first because they're like mm. directors you do the coming of age comedy first because um, it's easier to do so that's probably why we chose the harder one because we're like, no, we're going to do the harder one and we're going to do this epic period film that everyone's going to want to see. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So we, so we had the script and, and then we, we packaged that together and we, you have to, it's like a puzzle. You have to make form all at once. And we, we got the funding bodies all to basically commit at the same time. We had investors, funding body, um, we sold international rights to it and, um, and then the tax credit, which is like, you know, also one of can't, things can't happen without that. So you kind of have to right. put them all together at the same time as well as casting. So, so the first one really got us prepared for the second one. And the second one, we were able to do it at what you would say is like, a minimum Canadian sort of, but nice budget. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and you're happy that you ended up going with the hard, harder one first. Do you think that helped? Um, it was probably more difficult, but I'm I, looking back definitely because we were able to do the, because the second one, the coming of age one was probably a little bit easier to get some funding for. Right. I still, if we made the, the comedy first, and then we tried to get money for an epic period film. Like we might have needed ten million dollars, right? But because we did it just, you know, with our hearts, we were able to do it for very, very cheap. Yeah. Um, and that, so I, I don't think we could have reversed it and been able to make Edward. I think we would have made the coming of age, and then we would have had to make another coming of age or something like that. Yeah. Right. And this, uh, the coming of age film is, is public adventures in public Public school. school. Yeah. Yeah. We had to change the title. Oh, you had to change the title. We changed the title. Yeah. (laughs) There was already a title. Um, No, it's, uh, uh, distributor wanted us to change the title. It's literally, so it could be alphabetical. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the large decisions of the the industry. Yeah. Yeah. 
If it was our first film, we would have been like, no way, we're not changing that title. But because it was our second title, we're like, explain to us why? Okay, that makes sense. Let's do it. That's amazing. Um, Do you, there's a certain love of it, obviously, making your, doing everything. You're starting from the beginning, you're getting the funding, you're doing the the film. Um, Is that something you want to continue doing? Or would you rather sit back do the writing <laughs> well i don't know if there's ever sitting back like we still right. have to hustle our projects because we're still like you still have to to hustle to get in the room and to push people along and to like you have to believe in your project so fully that that you get everyone else to believe in it so i i still feel like we're in that stage but he, i'm enjoying the fact that i can actually take a few days to just write Mm -hmm. i have to do so much producing like the producing never ends it's it's uh all encumbering it's it's uh it takes years on like i still do stuff on edward you know like years later Mm -hmm. i I don't get like paid for it in that that's not why i do it but we it just never ends and you're you're reporting for um seven years minimum to to a funding organization too if if you Mm. if you have a film right um so yeah we have it it's nice to be able to be hired by somebody else but i think then the goal is to eventually to make bigger things and then to be back in charge and doing it but i do like to know i love knowing everything that's going on Mm -hmm. like i'm like when we work on our projects people always like do you want me to take you off cc i'm like the guy's like no 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 Put me on everything. I want to know. I don't. I'm not going to interfere, but I do like to know everything that's kind of going on with something. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I know. I guess you're relatively new to the industry. You haven't been around 30 years doing film, but um, how have you felt that the industry is compared to maybe how films were made before? Yeah. So I mean, it's a little bit like. it's a tougher time in some ways for indie film. I think before you could get funding easier and I think you could sell your film easier. Um, Netflix has totally changed the game. I think it was starting to change before that, but um, you basically have one shot now to sell your film is like, you want to do a big premiere at a big festival and you know, at that festival, I mean, I, I look at what sells at different festivals and, there might be the three films that make their money back, you know, out of the 40,000 that submitted out of the 30 that got in, you know, so the odds are, are really tough. Um, but it's easier to make a movie now. Mm. So, you know, to make a movie, to get it out there, to, to take a shot at a festival, like those things happen, you know, there's, there's the guys who made, uh, Matt Johnson who made, uh, the Dirties, which is a great Canadian example. I think they made, they, they went to, uh, I think this is their story is like they went to film school. They were making all these artsy films that they didn't think was very good. And they're like, let's just make, let's just screw around and make our own kind of thing. And they made this film for $10,000, the Dirties. And they won slam dance. They didn't get into many festivals. They won slam dance. I think they sold it to Lionsgate. Um, it did incredibly well for them. And then Lionsgate came back and gave them a million dollars to make Operation Avalanche, their next film. And, uh, and, that, and then they make Nirvana, the TV show as well. Right. So 
just for making that one fifteen thousand dollar, you know, like filming in your backyard film, they have a full career in the industry. Yeah. So there is that hope to like hang your hat on that that could happen at any time. And I guess you don't have to necessarily be a centralized artist living in Hollywood or in LA anymore. You can be other places. Yeah. I mean, our managers would love us to live down there because they can just set up a meeting tomorrow and go, come on down. So we like living here, obviously like looking around. It's a great place to live and, and our families are here. So we are giving it a go that we're living here. We fly down. We'll fly down on a Sunday night. We'll just do meeting, 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 meeting all week till Friday night. And then we'll fly back. Um, and then the nice thing about that is like you get to be like, we're in town only this week. You have to meet us because a lot of in Hollywood meetings get canceled all the time. Uh, yeah. So uh, I feel like maybe we get a little bit less canceled because we're like, this is the only chance that they get. Not that they care, but... It, no, it gives them than, a deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a running theme about working with deadlines. Yes. Deadlines are really deadlines good. Are good. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you feel about a, a side question that I've asked a few people? Uh, how do you feel about Spielberg's stance on the um, Oscars? Hmm. Do you hear about he's, you know, he doesn't think, like, basically that Netflix... I mean, I was a little jarred watching the Academy Awards being like, right. I forgot that all these Netflix films are also now being included yeah. into the Academy Awards. Because he was saying, I mean, essentially, just to recap, that the uh, TV has its own... They had have the Emmys already. Right. So there's an issue with it doesn't get distributed and having to go through that full theater distribution. Yeah. Should it be eligible? Yeah. Do you have a feeling about that? You know, I just think the world is like always changing and and you have to let it dictate itself in that way i don't i i i love that you that going to see movies in the cinema Mm. but to just hold on to that it's it's just it's gonna pass you by like you you don't have control over that i think netflix was buying theaters just to do their own like they'll just throw it in a theater like if that's the way around it then they'll do that, but what's you know what's the point of that? They're going to be like a couple theaters in the U.S. and they can call them Netflix theaters, and they'll just throw them in there, and they'll be like, "We did it." <laughs> totally. So I, you know, Netflix is the argument for pro Netflix is they've opened it up to so many diverse filmmakers from all over the world and got their stuff out. But is there lasting power? Like, there's still a power to a theatrical um, for your film. Like, I think that if you have a successful theatrical, then you're going to be able to make film after film after film after film. If you do, you know, the Netflix films, if you're not one of the top films, is that, is there lasting power after that? Is it creating more jobs for that? Or is it one and done? I don't know what the stats are for that. So I'd be interested in knowing that, but there is something, I I still believe in a theatrical. I still still think it's, it's the most exciting way to show your film. Mm -hmm. Would I make a film for Netflix? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. I guess there's a, a worry about um, making disposable art. You know, it comes, you get it made, it goes, and then this disappears on a streaming mm-hmm. platform. Yeah, it's scary. You like, you look at Netflix, you're like, oh, Charlize Theron has a movie that just came out on Netflix that I've not even heard about, and you're like, yeah. you used to be like, if she was in the theaters, like you're going to the theater to see her. So yeah. it is. 
it is a different art. It is a bit of a different art form. But I guess like anything, it it, it evolves. It changes. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of go with it whether we want to or not. I think that's the way that our technology has changed everything is that we no longer fight the upstream. We actually just see where it leads us. Right. I mean, Twitter's been the greatest example of the last 12 years it's been around. He, The person that developed it never knew where it was going. Right. He just like, I made this thing. Good luck. See how it goes. And in the past two years, it's completely changed again. It's yeah. a new medium, Twitter. Yeah. But it doesn't die. You yeah. know, like we're in the past, you know, cassette tapes, they go, they're dead. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We go with what's happening. Yeah. But now we create things and hope that there's a use for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Netflix changing from sending mail. Remember, you used to get the DVDs in the mail. Yeah. And they were like, this is going to be dead. We need yeah. to switch. Yeah. And look what happened. Yeah. You know? It just worries me those things that, uh, that's my social media rant. <laughs> and I'm on social media. Yeah. Like, I have not taken myself off. But eventually it feels like the negativity swells and outgrows everything else. And when it first started, you like, I do get tapped in emotionally and to like, you know, these great stories and, or just even seeing like a cat playing with a lion or something like that. And now if I open up Twitter, it's like, it's hard to get away from it. Even like sports, you know, like I, I'm a big sports guy. I just find that it's in order to get, in order to get people to follow you and to like you, you got to say negative things, mm. and that's sort of where it's gone to. And I, it's it's tough now. It's tough to yeah. to follow those worlds. I mean, that's why our fake news is, is blown so much because people do gravitate towards controversy, and and that is it, it's it's ratings mm-hmm. in its own way. You know, nobody cares about positivity particularly. You yeah, know, it's not that yeah interesting. Or we do, but we don't like. Tap it and retweet it and do all that, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is its own thing. Um, to talk a little bit about theater. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, okay, we had this conversation during Cabaret. And just so that everybody knows, how would you like to pronounce your last name now? <laughs> <laughs> Epstein. Epstein. Yes. Okay. Look at the story was, yeah, I went to, to Berlin to to you know do a little bit of research on the show and people always say Epstein and I never used to correct people when you go to theater school they're like correct people and tell them your right name but usually other people would do it for me (laughs) so I just like (laughs) let it go um so when I got off the the security guard right off the plane was like Epstein this is a German name and I was like yeah thanks (laughs) thank you German man yes um we bought it (laughs) we We bought the name right Right. Or did, oh, you bought the name, your family. Well, that's, I don't know the exact story, but right. if like looking up the etymology, like it, uh, the Jews were buying German names and it right. was Epstein was a castle. So I guess it cost a little, maybe it cost a little extra. Right. And so there was a, an actual business of selling these names. names yeah. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, so Josh, Josh Epstein. 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 Yeah, we'll say. Epstein. Okay, that's good. Um, you, you got into theater first. Oh, yeah. Before film. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what your first theatrical experience was? Yeah. I was thinking about it. I, yeah. I have a crazy first one because um, I knew Pat Waldron mm-hmm. was going to the singing, dancing, and acting studio because I my attention in school was probably really bad. And they were like, put him in... <laughs> classes and acting and everything and that really helped me and they produced she was one of the producers of peter pan the musical with kathy rigby 
And that it has to be. It was the original production was in Vancouver. It has to be one of the longest running shows in the history of theater. Because so, yeah. of Kathy Rigby's Peter Pan, and that was the first production. So it was Kathy Rigby was Peter Pan. She was a Olympic star, and she's. I think she still does the show. I saw her. They, do it, yeah. they have some of the same sets too. Like I've seen it. It's yeah. J.C. Olivier's like scrims and everything, and uh, and Long John Baldry, who is like. I mean, I was a little, I was a little kid. I played Michael. He was must have been eight feet tall. I remember him? He's like he was eight feet Very tall, tall. <laughs> and he was Captain Hook, and he was the nicest man. And Long John Baldry, of course, was a was a famous blues legend in England. Mm-hmm. Um, he had like one really big hit song, and in his band was Reggie Dwight, who became um, Elton oh. John and Rod Stewart. And so they still talk about him as the guy who like put them in the industry. So I always look back and go, wow. That that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just remember those. Anyways, so I did that show, and that was my first show. Jay Brezzo and Christopher Gaze did parts in that show at some point because it toured around after that. Mm-hmm. But that was my first one, and then it was yeah. all downhill after that. <laughs> Start at the top. Yeah. Slide your way down. <laughs> Were you one of the Lost Boys? I was Michael. Are you Michael? In the blue oh, pajamas, okay. and I got the fly. The marbles. Is that who, who, who was one of Is that right? Like, man, I can't remember. remember. Christmas. Doesn't he say oh, Christmas? Yeah, yeah. yeah the Christmas little man. Jewish boy yeah. says Christmas and Christmas. then he starts flying. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's amazing. My grandmother was there the first day. They did, that was flying yeah. by Foy. Like, they still have to use it. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, she was. She'll, she used to tell the story of, like, just seeing this eight-year-old kid, like, rise up and fly back and forth across the stage. And where did you do it in town? Where was the... Queen Elizabeth. Oh, the Queen. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So you fell into theater, was it? But it was a choice because your parents put you in originally. I think I just had so much energy, and they put me right. in. My mom, like I remember taking ballet and getting kicked out of class, and taking different dance classes and getting kicked out. And then I took piano. Like what actually started it was my dad worked with Lelania Lindbergh's dad. Yeah, and Elaine, Elaine, Lelania's mother taught me piano. But instead of playing piano, I would like sing the notes. So then she started. To teaching me singing right i think it was just like i just gravitated to it it was like one thing that stuck with me and and then it was like i was eight when i got into this big show so it was Mm. like there was no turning back right yeah yeah and then it's been there almost ever since yeah and you liked being an actor you liked being on stage i loved it yeah yeah Yeah. I, i i loved the energy and i think it's also like when you're a young kid and i'm sure i was a bit awkward and it wasn't like I loved sports but I wasn't great at sports and and to go to the theater and to have all these you know older actors and actresses and they're like your buddy and I got to go to like I was going to parties when I was 13 that were you know my mom would take me and like just get to hang out with these funny people who seemed more interested in talking to me than like people at school did right so Uh, it's like that acceptance of like, oh, this is just, it just, there was nothing better. Like it was the best, it felt like the best childhood to be able to go and do shows at night. And I just always looked forward to it. Yeah. I was talking about this with someone the other day too, about, um, when people cut their teeth in theater the first time you learn so much from the older actors on stage. Do you have any story, like any memories of that? people when you're like something you learned real fast 
Uh, you know, there's little things that stick out. Like I, I remember the opening of Sweeney Todd at the Stanley mm. with um, James Fig and Tate and Colin Heath, and I followed those guys around. I just loved. Like you could go to a sh- I I just knew like for me those were celebrities. Like I could go to a show that they were in and I knew I'd be entertained when they came out and entertained. There was nothing like them. Um trying to think of other things that I learned. Yeah, I mean I always I always had people that I looked up to or learned from. I I was really lucky to I I feel like I've worked with a wide array of directors across the country. Mm-hmm. Like Chris Abraham, I learned a lot would enable me to direct like from Chris Abraham or Kim Collier, or Dean Paul Gibson, uh, Michael Shimada. Um, and then, and then working with like on bigger scale shows, like I, I've worked with some Tony winners like Darko Tresniak and Matthew Workus who were our visionary directors, but their, their work was, it was different working with them because it, it felt like it was a more detached process. Maybe that's what worked for them working on bigger shows. Right. So it didn't feel like, it didn't always feel like um, as is as much of a collaboration. So you learn in all different, in all different ways. Right. Yeah. And um, I know that you went to Studio 58 also, and I guess that's, you went relatively later than other people generally go i was still pretty young because i graduated high school at 17 and then i did four years of commerce like right out of school yes and then i went right into studio 58 right i was i auditioned in my third year of ubc and i went to them and i said that i i want to come to studio 58 but i have another year of commerce to do and like jane heyman still to this day was like oh that's why we let you in because it was that determination but really i was doing it so that if I didn't get in that year, I'd have another year to audition. But I knew I wanted to go to acting school after, but I wanted to finish the commerce degree. Cause I was like, then I'm done. I've got it. I was in, I still liked commerce. Like it wasn't like I was being tortured, but I was like, I want to be a full. And I was working outside of school. Like I did Bard and the playhouse and the arts club before I went to studio 58. Mm-hmm. So, um, I knew I could have like just been an actor, but I was like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it. Like, for longevity and I saw that the actors coming into studio just had more depth and and I was just I just thought I needed that training to be able to do it for a career if I was going to do it right and uh you do speak highly of your of your time there you 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 felt like you got what you wanted out of the program I did I I think that maybe for me it was it was slightly different because I had worked as a professional actor yeah so I I knew that some of the tricks I had worked mm. and I knew that they wanted to be like, well, let's see what happens if we take away those tricks. Um, what else can you bring? And so I was happy to be like, let's, you know, let's mine whatever I can and see. Cause I, that's, that's why I went to the school. I didn't go to the school to become an actor. Mm. I went to the school to be a better actor so I, I went like a sponge and just was like, okay, throw anything at me. And I didn't feel like I was getting beaten down. I felt like I wanted to give up those things for a while. And then when you go back to performing, then you add, throw back your tricks in, you know, you can, you don't need to right. lose them. Yeah. What did you feel you were getting away with? Well, I definitely had grown up in the, doing a lot of musicals and there's like, you have to, you have to have a certain type of energy to get mm. through a musical. 
So I think it was just being able to go, okay, I don't need to like push through something. If I'm not feeling anything, I can like work from there and it'll come in. Um, so I think that was, it was probably that energy that you have that, that just pushes you through a show that you feel like you need. And like in those musicals, if you're in the ensemble, like that people are shouting at you to give and you kind of need for those shows. So I was happy to give that up for a while. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so why cabaret? Um, I know you had, uh, so just so people know that are listening, um, Josh, just directed Cabaret. Uh, I music directed with him and with Shelley uh, Stewart Hunt at um, Studio 58. Uh, quite a successful show, as I have heard lately, that it did very well. Um, but you, did you approach Catherine about doing the show? Yeah, Catherine and I had talked about directing a show, and it was the basically it was the only show I pitched to her. I think yeah. I pitched her right away. I knew Robert McQueen had done it there, and Robert McQueen is another um, sort of mentor of mine. And I knew that I just, I think probably I, ma- I imagined his production because I'd heard stories about it and it felt, you know, um, like it intruded in on the audience and it felt, so I think in my head I had this, I never saw pictures of it or anything, but I had like this image of what it was in my head for all these years. And I just thought that show at that school, like that we could do it um, and that in that space it could just sort of blow the roof off that space um yeah so that was that's when you went in to talk you were this is what you had in mind yes yeah i said i want to do cabaret and i think it it was a pretty quick meeting like she she had been supportive about me directing and um i was probably less sure about it than her and i didn't know about you know schedule or anything but at a certain point i was like i gotta do this like i i'd been thinking about it for a long time and um and I, there's certain things. It just felt like the right time to do that show as well. Like mm-hmm. it's a timeless show that'll be that will be done every year, forever. But right now, it felt more um, like it was needed. Yeah, and that it had something to say, and I felt like I could bring something to it that was unique, even though it had been done a billion times. Because the last thing I, I I do want with musicals is to not just do the same thing over and over, but I do believe in like telling the story of of what of what has made that show a classic, and then just putting you know little bits of yourself into it. Mm-hmm. Had you seen productions of the show before? I hadn't seen many, but I, I have seen um, a couple, and I. Yeah, I'm. I I think anybody who goes to cabaret, they think, okay, this is a big, big, famous musical, and they're always come away from it being like, whoa, it's a bit darker than I thought. So I do like that. Like I, my favorite musical is Parade. I mm. like a little bit of, um, you know, it's got to be really, it's got to have a little bit of darkness into it and a little bit of um, that it's got something to say and, and, and emotional music or resonance to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there something particularly about Cabaret that, that spoke to you when you when you see it is a certain moment or a certain story i love the juxtaposition of the two love stories i love that there's the one that's uh that feels very modern still and you know there's there's a fluidness to the to the sexuality in it 
and then it juxtaposes with this older um, couple that feels very innocent, but still goes through the same hardship that they go through. And it's it's the structure of those two things is is brilliant writing. Yeah, yeah. And and everybody, you know, growing up, everybody wants to play, you know, Sally and Cliff, and but the the heart and the meal of that show is is the two of them, the mm-hmm. older couple. Yeah. Uh, Schneider and Schultz. Uh, Schultz yeah. Um, of course, at studio, we don't have people of that age, too. So we, mm-hmm. we had some younger actors do it. But um, how did you how did you find your experience working and, and directing at the, at the studio? It was the perfect place to do my first directing. Um, I was able to have the best team, you know, that you could assemble. So already you feel like you're, you know, you're supported professionally. And I mean, that that was a thing that was really important to me that, that I think I brought as a producer on mm. film, like producing in film, very different than anything. You have your hands on everything. You know, you, you could have your say in any artistic thing in any department. Um, so I felt like that I did feel like prepared to direct from that experience. But I love I do love collaboration and I think. I talked to some of the designers and I was like, tried to get them talking. And I felt like there was a bit of surprise there of like, Oh no, no, I do this and they do that. And then we all push it together. And I was like, well, like if, if the more and more, if I were to direct, I would just try to get everybody together right off the bat mm. so that they're, they influence each other, each other. Right. And, and maybe it might feel intrusive at the start, but I think that in the end you, you're going to get some magic. Luckily in Vancouver, it's a small scene, so a lot of the designers have worked together. So I'd say like Drew and Itai had that relationship where they probably didn't even need to talk to each other, but they knew what each other was doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved being able to work with all you and and all the creative team, mm-hmm. and then I felt so much support from the school. Like like they come in and and they you know they would come and watch runs and they can give notes if you want them you, they don't have to i'm i'm always open to hearing every comment like in the film doesn't matter if you're open or not you're gonna get them so <laughs> so kyle and i really pride ourselves on like taking all the notes take it you can get you, we can get 30 pages of notes on something on like you know on on 10 pages of script and you don't have to use them all right like you you read them you take what you want out of them and then you apply it Maybe it tells you something that you need to do, but it, in a different way. So then, with the actors, I felt like they were just they were just ready to go, and I felt like I, I felt like the one thing I needed to do was right at the beginning was to get them all on board, you know, because the, it, I did remember experiences of being in shows where things started to fraction off, and you have the leads, and then you have you know the ensemble, or you have people who don't want to be doing a musical. Mm. So I felt like. You know, as a director, one of your things is to get the room on board because then it doesn't, otherwise, it doesn't matter if they're not. Yeah. I also want people to have a good time. I know that sounds like trite, but I think it's really important for the art. And why else are we like that's what a lot of what I've gotten out of this business is that I've enjoyed what I've done. And mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not, then the art's going to suffer and no one's going to want to be there and no one's going to want to work with you. Yeah. So that felt really important right off the bat to get everybody on on board mm-hmm. i talked to like i'd say for this project i i asked meg Rowe a lot what do i do what do right. i do mm-hmm. she helped me a lot with like scheduling and and 
and working with a company. Great. Yeah. Um, and studio, I find the experiences I've had there, the students are great. They, they come with offers. They come with yeah. things and they want to be there. And I think I could feel obviously being at the show every night, uh, having going out there and seeing a full audience every night and being like, oh, there's a thing going on. I yeah. think it really helped the energy continue. And it's nice. To, it was a, a good experience, I think, especially for the kids, too. They really liked it. I call them kids. I mean, <laughs> this group was, uh, were fairly young. I mean, they were not, there was nobody like yeah. really old in the group. Yeah. Um, as a side note, when I first did my first show, was Oklahoma at Studio. And there was like four or five people in their 30s in that group. So I thought, oh, that's really fun. I guess yeah. this is what studios like. You yeah. get like older people. Yeah. But then when we did 42nd Street, everyone was younger. Right. And now this one, everyone's quite a bit. I was like, wow, right. I guess it changes. Yeah. Your your class that you had when you were at studio, like, did you have a big mix of people there? I can't remember what everyone's ages was. Yeah. But uh, I felt like in the middle somewhere. I was 21 when I started there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the people in my class have gone on to do like, a variety of things and i think that's what's key in this profession is i think if you have patience and and you do you know that you you i think the the most important thing i'd say to like people starting on the business is that have something else not because you're like relying on it or that you're giving up or side betting but i think it's just healthy for your brain and i think you'll have more longevity if you have something to go alongside it um, that you can make a little money on, but that you also enjoy. And so when the the business is not inspiring you, that you can put yourself a little bit into that and or get you through a, a spell, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I have an amazing class. One of one of the guys in my class, he left early, actually, because he decided he wanted to be a producer. He's um, and he is the head of uh, indie production at Netflix now. <laughs> Speaking of Netflix. Right. So, um, you know, another uh, Sarah Bino in my class has directed documentaries for CBC. Nicola Cry-Demute is still acting. Anthony is writing a television show for Alan Cumming. Um, you know, like people are doing a wide variety of things in all aspects of life. And um, definitely, like, I, I still keep in touch with a lot of people that I went to school with. And I'm still excited by, you know, the the spirit that people that went to studio have Mm -hmm. well what what does inspire you right now what what do you look forward to I think well right now it's it's telling these stories that Kyle and I want to tell they're usually underdog stories of an underdog who who has trouble fitting in that finds their way in eventually Mm. maybe that's how we feel about ourselves in the film industry because we you know for four years it was just the two of us writing in rooms and and uh driving the trucks and and then you know but and then now you know we're getting we're getting more help along the way um, but I, I'm inspired by the underdog story and being able to, to find these quirky characters and, and bring them out. Yeah. And, um, you're working on multiple things right now, I'm assuming. Yeah. Stuff going on. Always. Yeah. 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 We have, so we're writing a f- feature film for Paramount. 
Oh, yeah. Which is uh, the number one priority right now. Right. So that's an original story. It's a big world story. Um, and that's our first studio, studio feature thing. that we're writing. And then we're, we just sold another pitch that we're going to write, produce, and direct as the team that we've been doing so far. And uh, that's another one that's... Uh, a big fun world like so we're writing in these in trying to write in these bigger worlds right now right but what we bring to it i hope is is a bit more heart and humor um and you know hopefully like a bit of a fresh voice on these bigger stories right so those are a couple things and then we've got a uh another a book that we optioned years ago that we turned into a screenplay that we're turning into a musical uh, maybe we'll turn it back into a screenplay, but yeah. uh, that one we're we're working with a uh, musical stage, the Belfry and the Citadel right now, um, in development, and it's very hard to write a musical. Yeah, yeah, it's probably the the hardest of all of them to write the book for a musical. You go, I go back and I look at those the ones that have stood the test of time, and they had the best writers in the world writing the book. Nobody, nobody ever goes to musical and really talks about the book very often. Maybe you do, but yeah, most people yeah. like you know yeah. they talk about the music. But those books are just incredible on those old shows, and yeah. you know, so that's probably the main reason why those musicals have stood the test of time is the book has been incredible. Yeah, because there's lots of great music that's that's been written in other shows that they've never stuck with. Yeah. That's a great point, and it's good, especially for this particular podcast. It's good to chat about that. And I I have always felt that the books are underrated a lot because it's easy to... And I still hear this. like It's very prevalent. People always think musical theater is a big piece of fluff a lot. And it's just like I heard it from... I hope Tom Power listens to this because I love Q and I think it's a fantastic show on CBC. But I just um, he said one of, and Paul on them. Well, that was it. I was one of some of the most oh. ig- ignorant statements I've ever heard about musicals to come from Tom. I mean, obviously, he's not a big musical theater fan. <laughs> um, but I think that Pasek and Paul held, uh, handled the questions very well. Right. Um, but he basically said, "Well, you know, because they was talking about Dear Evan Hansen." And basically, Tom kept trying to get this this through this question through, basically like, this is not normal musical theater fair to talk about this stuff, and right. it's just wrong. Right? Like, you obviously haven't seen enough shows or seen the right shows. I mean, you have to have seen Cabaret, for instance, to exactly. just know that. And in all of the shows that stand the test of time, there is always a darker or an undercurrent of something else that grips you. You know, you don't musicals are not someone comes up and sings, they leave, the dancing chorus comes out, they leave. It's not that anymore. Yeah. And, you know, from showboat to company to, to all those shows, you if know. If you want to do jukebox, like even Jersey Boys, like yes. Dez says he makes musicals for people who don't like musicals. Yeah. Which, you know, take that for what you will, but I think that there's something in there that is, you know, like that's really important. People who say they don't like musicals, they always cite. I'm not even going to say which ones they cite. Yeah. But you're like, come on, I don't like those musicals either. <laughs> totally. I freaking love musicals. Yeah. But those aren't those aren't musicals. Yeah. You know. I always say, if you don't like a musical, you haven't seen the right one. Yeah. Because there's so many choices, and it, what passing of Paul and what I appreciated the answer was essentially that the genre is malleable, that it can tell many stories. And it tells them in a very specific way, but um, it's constantly changing. Unlike a lot of other mediums that don't do that. Yeah, and those guys yeah. excite me. So yeah. I, I produced a 
think it was maybe the Canadian premiere, first or second, of Edges. Of Edges, yeah. I saw so Edges. that's an early work for them. But I've gone back and looked at that again. And, like, think the in an, in an evolution of writers. Like, that show is, like, in one song, in three to five minutes, introduce a character, make us laugh, and make us cry. Like, and they could do that on song after song after song, on new, brand new characters. Like, what a great like writing process and like skill building exercise. Absolutely. So I, I've gone back and looked like, how did you do that? How did you write this song about some person we haven't met? And like, you're so engaged mm-hmm. and, and then they, their songs also sound brilliant. And now they're, they're writing on these huge things. So it's a different, you know, it's going to be a different evolution of, yeah. of them as artists. They've taken off so fast and so quickly and they deserve it. But I think that, I think they've got another couple, you know, they've got another couple of Dear Evan Hansen's in them that they'll yeah. write in our time. Hopefully they get, you know, get yeah. away from just writing the gigantic uh, yeah. shows, but good for but them. But I think they will. I mean, they caught um, an upswing at the right time. Like, oh, just, yeah. like, I think about their progress, like short of like Evan Hansen coming out in Greatest Showman and all that stuff. Just like the year prior, they were here doing their show. They did James and the Giant Peach yeah, yeah, yeah. here and, and they came and did like a little concert. And I went and saw that, yes. them just performing. And yeah. first of all, they could take that show on the road. I know. And they do, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But because they're good pals, that they do this great little cabaret oh, yeah. show. Yeah, they can both sing, too. But they're very humble, and they're very, like, just kind of like, yeah, we love everything. Yeah. Like, they have this great story about meeting, what's your name, from Kinky Boots uh, that wrote the music. Out. Yeah, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper, about how they just kind of followed her around, because the, they loved her, and they basically stalked her and yeah. stuff. And I love those stories, because yeah. they're just real people, yeah. you know. I would be like that if I met them again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. They've done so well but good for them but yeah writing the book of a musical is very difficult and I, what I find is interesting is when there's first time story people that want to do a fringe show they're like let's write a musical you're like you are stepping into one of the hardest <laughs> genres yeah. to write yeah. like it's not easy to write a good book because books need to be efficient they need to be short they need to tell the story very condensed but um, efficiently but it's you know? almost impossible to match the music if you write a killer right. song how do you write a scene after that that matches that song? Maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe that's the key is like, it doesn't have to match it. No. You know, bring us into a new direction. But uh, yeah, I mean, like we just get so moved by music mm-hmm. that, that, okay, now, now in a minute, you know, tell us a story that, that keeps us entertained until the next song. Yeah, that is trick. That is the key yeah. to it. And but it's taken off in Canada. Like there's so much more development so maybe we're gonna see you know just musical like maybe maybe we're gonna develop a bunch of book writers for musicals yeah i hope so yeah so we found out what's next what what your um the next sort of projects you're working on um but there's always multiple things sort of happening at the same time there's never just one yeah one thing and kyle's still with you you guys you're still doing this yeah i mean i i don't know what i would do without like i i love working in a partnership um, I, I would find it really hard to just be a solo, you know, writer or producer. You just, you go through really stressful things. You go through yeses and nos 50 times in a day. And so just to have someone else to be like, you know, like you sort of take the energy off them. If, if they don't really care that you just got to know on something, then you're like, well, why would I care about that? And we switched, you know, it's constantly switches who's, whose position is, is the one on to follow on those things, but it just helped me so much to have a, to have that springboard with somebody else. Emotionally too, just to keep balance. Absolutely. Yeah. Emotionally, socially, 
um, you know, we, we go, I mean, in every aspect, like we go to a uh, uh, gathering in LA and to be able to be there with somebody is makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I can see you don't that. know anybody. Yeah. Such a big world and can be pretty lonely. I'm sure if you're by yourself. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 And we go and pitch. I think we have this ability to pitch projects together where we're finishing each other's sentences now. And, um, you know, we just, we, we can, we can go in a different direction in the meeting and I kind of, then I kind of know where he's going and I can jump in or, or the other thing, which is great is if somebody asks you a question, let's say he jumps in with the answer, but while he's answering, you can think about the next question or you can think about you know further on that like the one thing he missed was blah blah blah, blah. Yeah. um i just find it it's helpful in in every direction for this business that's great yeah um and you're gonna hope you're gonna keep trying to produce uh as as uh, motion 58 well that's our company um yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we have to work that like so that was for indie production we were able to do that and and they would be fully our things and now we're working on bigger things so i think we're going to be for hire a little bit right and then eventually the plan would be that you know that we build that company to the point where we can be involved producing the bigger stuff right yeah fantastic are you going to keep acting performing yes Yes. Just not as much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I no, I mean, I there's there's part of me that goes, well, maybe I'll just do this for a couple of years and I'll switch back, right? Right. Like, uh, no, there's still stuff that I'm like, oh god, I have to do that show. I don't know how or when, but like, you know, that excites me. So it's it's in my blood, and and absolutely, I have to keep doing it. How about directing? Yeah, I mean, that was a surprise. I didn't know that I would like it so much. But I, I really loved directing cabaret, especially at studio. So for sure, I, I will want to direct more. Do you have any shows that you would love to direct? Who? Um, this is an advertisement. So. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there. I think there's there's definitely shows I want to direct. There's shows that are like from my childhood that I just like have an affinity for. Say it was like Rent, something like that. I'd love to like. Mm-hmm. What can I do with rent? You know, can can we bring it into twenty twenty somehow? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's shows on Broadway right now. There's one that I just love on Broadway. I'm not gonna say it, but <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the, I, I don't okay. I don't know if I'm the right director for it, but I have right. to be in it or 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 direct it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's definitely there's definitely projects out there and I, like i mentioned parade mm-hmm. I, I i you know definitely jason robert brown was like you know for me it was very exciting when he came in mm-hmm. something that i shared with friends you know that we would share the music back and forth i, I had a friend who passed away zane ellie mm-hmm. he went to circle in the square and i remember the day he came back and he played me um king of the world from songs for new world and he was yeah. and i just was like what is this i've yeah. never heard anything like this you know it was like it i just was so blown away by it and i had to just keep playing it over and over and over again to be like i don't understand (laughs) like this is musical theater yeah yeah. and it was so exciting to me and uh so i'd still hope he yeah would come out with something new that's just really in his wheelhouse and then i felt the same thing when i when i opened parade and obviously like i was attracted to it because there was like this jewish storyline to it there's a part that i would love to play. It's so hard to do that production in like a big way. Yeah. But uh, I remember like taking the plastic off that CD, 
locking myself in a room and just playing it and, and being sort of confused like is this as a musical mm-hmm. like it's this is such a dark story and then there's like these great songs you know and then i listen to it again and i'm like like it even more that's yeah. that's what i love about musicals it's just yeah. if you can listen to it the fourth time and you like it better than the first time you like it you get lost yeah 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 we, jrb's um yeah he's a little bit of enigma with his work i mean for so long he was the future of broadway or musical theater and in, in a way he still is a pioneer but having that commercial success is hard and maybe it's the projects, maybe it's the choosing, you know, it's to start with Parade essentially being like your first big production. It's hard to go backwards. Yeah. Because it was so big. I mean, Brent Carver was in that. Yeah. Thing. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. I um, saw it in Seattle oh, with yeah. everybody but Brent and Carolee. Yeah. They'd replaced the two of them. Um, but Jason Rob Brown conducted it. I think it was because it was such a special show that didn't continue on. So then they did this one tour and, and like the whole original cast was in it except for the two leads. Right. Yeah. yeah. It is an amazing show, uh, and I saw Bridges on, on Broadway and yeah. a few things, which I thought should have had a longer shake. Right, yeah. I mean, they were it's it's brilliant. It was a great yeah. piece, but yeah, finding that thing that you know those works. early works for those those artists, like yeah, just they're hard to you know because his last five years will always be done yeah. as like a two hander essentially, yeah, yeah. you know those sort of things. But it's interesting all the the composers that start with song cycles is their first kind of thing. Cause like yeah. song for songs for a new world just got a, a re-release. He redid some orchestrations and oh, yeah, cast yeah. recording and it sounds amazing. It's, yeah. You should get listen to it now on Apple and stuff, but yeah, it's good. I think that's like doing an indie film, you know, it's yeah. that's doing their low budget film where they like get to have a little bit more control over the process and they can experiment and do all these sorts of things. And they do these song cycles and it's a, it is a great avenue for, yeah, putting yourself out there, and I think when they come out of uh, you know NYU or whatever you know, like uh, or basketball or people like that, they're yeah. like, go write a a song cycle. So edges, and but what's interesting about their artists is people still go back to them and still yeah. do those shows, yeah. and they, they say so much, yeah, to see the evolution of their writing. Yeah. Um. What's your greatest? What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment to this point? Oh That's boy, tough. you're too young to really answer this question. <laughs> Um, or what well, are you the most proud of? Let's put it that way. Well, I, it's got to be the, it's got to be like, it's got to, in a way, it's got to be Edward, like to do this monster movie that, you know, we took it out to people before we did it and they just looked at us like we were crazy because why would you, why would you make a an epic period film? Like people don't get excited about hearing about period films. Um, why would you do that as your first film or, you know, like also people who've been in the industry know how hard the industry is. It's like, like they just, you can't, you, it's hard to hear young people pitching their projects and being like, I'm going to make this and just looking at them. Like, you know, I, 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 that's why I try never to look at people like that now. Hmm. Cause like, yeah, you can do it. But just to take that, we took it from beginning to end, like really like we, we, um, we optioned the material, so we had to learn how to option it. We rewrote the script hundreds of times. We cast it. We produced it. We raised the money for it. We got all the stuff for it. Like, I had to drive, you know, a semi for it. And then, you know, on the last day of shooting, we had all these people join up, like hundreds of people join up on the production. And then it ends. And then, it, like, literally, like, you know, the last night, it's like four in the morning, and Kyle and I are in this truck dropping off garbages in the dumpsters. <laughs> 
you know, like it sort of swells and then it ends up back just the two of you. And then we took it through distribution and we still are like, there's still times where we like fight for the film because, you know, something's happened in another country and they, or somebody wants it or like we can make another sale. Like it's still to that, to that time. So I just think of that, the monster of effort that that took and that, um, that it was really the two of us that sort of started that mountain and, and, and were able to get people to join up on it because we had a vision about it. And I'm so thankful for like anybody who contributed to it, but that would be, that would be the thing. And then there's, there's other things that like really excite. Like I was, I loved Stratford. My second year at Stratford doing the matchmaker at Stratford was, was such a special experience and working with Chris and that cast and like getting to do monologues on the festival stage and Martha Henry was was like my mentor at Stratford and she really instilled in me like how special that place was because I didn't grow up there. I just sort of heard about it. But I remember the first time on that stage and we were like touching the wood and hearing stories about it. And, um, and I, I really believe in that place and how special it is. And so mm-hmm. to be able to, to, you know, that show was just such a gift where I like started off the show. I got to pop my head up through the trap door alone on stage mm-hmm. and, and and talk to the audience and then at the end you get to do that you know shauna mckenna presenting barnaby at the end of the show and sort of pushing you forward to speak to the audience like what a what a lucky experience to have even if i was only there for two years like i i really felt like the magic of that place right well thanks for doing this today um i guess we'll hear about what's happening with you as it comes out and distributes. But I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. That was fun.